My name is Alec Crawford, and this is Stay, a podcast about sustainability, technology, artificial intelligence, and how they impact you at home, at work, and around the world. I am discussing these topics with high-profile guests to give you important information that goes much deeper than other sources. Find out answers to questions like, can artificial intelligence save the planet? And how does ESG investing affect you? We can build a better, sustainable future together. Welcome, everyone, to the Stay Sustainable podcast. And our very special guest today is Mark Neal, Vintner, founder and owner of Neal Family Vineyards. Good morning. Great to have you, Mark. So uh, I usually start out talking about people's careers after school, but you really started at age seven in the vineyards, which is amazing. Tell us about that. Well, uh, yeah, you're correct. It, vineyards, orchards, like prune trees, walnut trees, uh, huge gardens. We had um, livestock, chickens. It was a true farm. So yeah, we definitely, uh, age seven, picking walnuts, prunes, helping out the, the daily chores in the vineyards and whatever we were doing for that day. That's correct. That's awesome. And, and tell us more about your dad, Jack, at that time. Well, my dad um, met um, a friend or two in the Korean War and from Napa. And uh, so when he got back, um, he was actually delivering newspapers um, in Oakland like he did prior to he got drafted. And then all of a sudden, he, when he wasn't doing that, he would, during the day, uh, he would come up to Napa and, and be a day worker. Uh, for that family and, uh, and then brought mom up and they were both uh, day working um, for farmers up here. And then they eventually moved up to Napa Valley. Wow, that's amazing. That's a, that's a good start. And then and here you are today. And I, I met one of your daughters, Dimitri, at the winery. So you're keeping this a family business, which is great. What are the most important things for them to learn, do you think? I think the roundness of everything because we are our own farmers we own our own vineyards and we have our own winery and we do our own marketing so if you look at the component of all that that's a, a pretty big task when you wear all those hats because uh um there's never a dull moment per se but um i think the roundness and knowing really how hard my parents worked uh, to get where we are and, and, and laying the groundwork for myself and, and them being a third generation. So I have, yeah, Demetria as well as Jessica. Um, they're not just working at the winery, they work in the vineyards as well as uh, the winery and also on, as a part of the marketing team. And then I have a couple of boys that are, um, well, I shouldn't say they're children anymore because they're more, mostly all young adults for sure. Um, they're working, well, boys and toys. So they're some are on heavy equipment right now and doing redevelopment for vineyards, and uh, as well as uh, out and about uh, working the vineyards of the tasks for the season that we're in right now. Yeah, one hopes that being your own boss will help a little bit with work-life balance, but not always, apparently. <laughs> so. Well, family balance and work is. Um, daily. It could be seasonal. It could be anything it wants to be, but uh, there are certain things that, you know, when the frost alarm goes off in the springtime, 
you go out and take care of frost, uh, you know, different than uh, we do our fungicide spraying at night and we do our harvesting at night. Um, so, and then you're doing all the rest of your tasks during the daytime, but you got to balance that with family time and, and, you know, and understand when you got to shut down and be able to, um, you know, I have five kids, uh, and then, uh, got remarried and have two more. So we have a total of seven. And, uh, so there's a lot of activity when it comes to, uh, family dinners that we traditionally do on the weekends for sure. And get everybody back up to the main house and, and, uh, enjoy family at that time. And then of course I got so many kids working for me that I get to see them all the time on a workload, but that's not really family time. Yeah. Per se. Yeah. And how is working in the wine business different than other businesses, do you think? Well, it depends what, you know, that, that's a, that's a open uh, question, I think, because what that definition really is, you know, again, we are, um, you know, we are farmers. We have a, a vineyard management company that we started. I started with my father in 1968 and we have uh, around 500 employees. So we manage numerous vineyards for um, many different clients in Napa Valley. Um, you know, we have about, uh, we sell grapes off our client property to 90, about 94 wineries throughout Napa County. Um, we have a trucking business that we move juice and barrels for numerous wineries in Napa Valley as well. So we're have that going on another business. And then we have the winery, of course, that you met me up at. And, um, you know, um, so it depends on what hats. And then all of a sudden, like, again, you know, uh, you know, we do our own marketing. We're out, we're out there uh, visiting our distributors and, and working the market. So we don't have like a national salesperson. So it depends what you say, you know, because there's people that come to have a value they're in the wine business, but, you know, they hire a lot of people to do a lot of work. Uh, it's a lot different than it was. You know, again, this is my 57th harvest. So I've seen a lot of things change over the, over the decades for sure. Yeah. You know, as you know, I'm a big fan of your wine. And there was a, a landmark study out of UCLA in 2016 showing that organic wine tastes better. But you've been organic for decades. And in addition, Neal Family Vineyards became the first regenerative organic certified winery in Napa this year, which I think is really the culmination of a lot of your efforts, if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, well, I grew up organically and actually a little bit on the biodynamic side. Um, my grandmother came from Crete and her family had um, olive orchards and vineyard in Crete, and which we I've had visited them um, many times. So we grew up organically and actually it was pretty funny because in 1984, I mentioned to my father, I like to take our vineyards, you know, we've been farming organically. I like to go with CCUF, the California Certification of Organic Farmers. And he goes, paperwork? Not me. You can handle that part. So at that time, we did register our uh, our vineyards that we own and a, a few client vineyards as well. Like, for example, Martha's Vineyard, we uh, registered uh, that vineyard in 1984 as well. And then we basically grew all that. Uh, we have about 1,800 acres that are certified organic. We're running uh, around about 500 plus acres that are biodynamic. And then we did get receive the regenerative organic at the Howe Mountain property. And now that is being um, uh, worked with down in our Rutherford vineyards. Uh, so we should have that certification at the end of this year as well. 
That's great. I, I, I do think there's some consumer confusion about organic versus biodynamic, if you could clear that up for our listeners. Well, organic, uh, you can have a certified organic vineyard. Um, that's pretty much the foundation part of the big foundation of biodynamic. Um, but biodynamic will take in that you, the whole property has to be certified organic. So for example, like our landscaping materials, you know, if whatever we're using for insecticide or fertilizers has to be certified organic. Um, the cattle at my ranch, the chickens, the sheep, all that is all certified organic food because that's part of the, the part of our compost. No different than landscaping, the leaves, everything that falls off the trees, we put everything into our compost pile. It's no different than our certified organic uh, vineyards, you know, the, the plumus goes into and the stems go into our compost pile. So it's a f- actual full circle. And what I love about the idea about the biodynamic part of it is that, you know, you know, if you got your feet into your vineyard that's certified organic, you really should be doing it on your whole property anyways, you know? So even my puppy that I just got uh, a few months ago, um, and like all my other dogs I've had, you know, they've been fed certified organic dog food. Wow, that's great. Our dogs too, and they're pretty uh, pretty happy about it. Now, now speaking yes. of, of sustainable and organic, we've obviously seen some horrific fires in Napa Valley the last few years. Is there anything that, um, you know, the vineyard owners and, and, the, and you, is there anything you can do about that at all? Or, or is, there, is there a plan or just got to deal with it? There's been more and more emphasis on a solution for smoke taint um, since the 2020 fire, which is great. I mean, because I mean, there's been, I mean, as you know, there's been a lot of fires in Australia over you know, decades. And there's been other fires in California um, before the 2020. We had one in 17, but what pretty much was at that time, I don't think there was that much fruit, of, you know, to be harvested because it was very late October that fire occurred. But um, we're hoping that we could actually, you know, have something really in place for smoke tank, you know, um, but some of the cases that, you know, um, you know, as we all know, skin doesn't uh, grape skins as well as our hand off of our hands you know it, they're going to absorb so um i'm looking really i think i think there's a bright future for a solution for smoke tank i really do i think that that again i think there's numerous of people from many different countries working on a solution and um some of the stuff i've seen out there looks very positive that's great that's really good to hear a- any other reactions to, to climate change in the wine business in general or in Napa Valley? Like I, I hear, for example, in some areas, they're, you know, shifting, you know, grape varietals uh, to deal with warmer weather, for example. There, well, there is a shift and there is a shift for many different reasons. Yeah. And climate change is one of them. Um, and especially we're just going to be talking about Napa Valley. I think that we're seeing a lot more Cabernet being planted in cooler areas we've been seeing that for the last you know really since probably about 2012. um you know i i think that one of the things that there's a couple components to that due to the fact that our farming costs have got have raised so much um over the last basically 10 years um that some of the varieties are getting to be that it's not economical to farm unless you're producing 
you know, megatons per acre if you're just a farmer. If you're where if you're actually the farmer and you own those grapes and you own a winery and you're making wine out of it, you know, there's another layer that, you know, that could be feasible to work with. But if you're just a true on the farmer hat, um, you know, you it's a commodity change, you know, it's a different uh getting more uh, the point you got to basically pay for all your costs and then it's not, uh, cheap by no means for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the monoculture when we were, uh, when we were at the vineyard together, do you remember the, the first glass of wine that really blew you away and what was it? <laughs> well, there's many glasses that really blow me away. And, uh, over the years, you know, I've been drinking wine, started making wine when I was 14 with my father. And, uh, but, um, and it was definitely drinking wine a little bit before then. Um, so I would have to say there's been many different, God, occasions that I've had, uh, and even maybe multiple times during the, the same uh, tasting that have blown me away. And I probably, to be honest, sitting here with you, I had a beautiful Barbara last night. And uh, uh, I would have to say my, the last class I had was that. And I would probably say that was excellent. And it blew me away. Yeah. So I would say whatever one I've had in probably the last 24 hours is... Uh, <laughs> is, is a top, is, is our hats off for that one. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, um, so Napa's changed, I mean, we've talked about this multiple times, and Napa's changed a huge amount in our lifetime. So what, what's something that you feel has changed for the better and something that went the wrong way? Well, I've seen a lot of changes. I mean, you know, the, the highest um, commodity valued agricultural um, product in 1968 was cattle here in Napa Valley. And I was here during that all that time. And you know, there was a lot of prune trees and walnut trees. There was a lot of... Um, you know, vegetable gardens, there was a lot of hay fields and stuff like that. And really the transition started right after the 68. And, you know, more farmers had to change to different, uh, a different type of uh, agricultural commodity and, and the cattle were starting to be pushed away and, and gone to different markets for say, and, and vineyards were being more planted and then prune trees were coming out and walnut trees were coming out uh, way before the French tasting that came in in 76. So I've, I've been through all this where, you know, I, you know, where Napa Valley now is pretty much a monoculture of vines from Canaris and from the Mayakimis range all the way to the Vaca range and all the way up to Calistoga to the county line. And you see, of course, you do see some scattered olive trees around landscaping, around vineyards and stuff like that. But, you know, um, the big orchards and, you know, all the prune dehydrators and walnut, you know, dehydrators and stuff like that are gone. And even the the meat lockers are gone that I've seen. But um, one of the biggest things that I, you know, I'm seeing in the last few years that are um, alarming, per se, is that how we're gone from a monoculture of viticulture from head to toe throughout the four corners of Napa Valley is that we're actually almost getting down to um, monovarietal, you know, where there's a lot more Cabernet being planted or, you know, uh, especially the big reds are being planted for say, and, you know, it's, it's scarce to find Savion Blanc. I'm getting phone calls for Savion Blanc and Chardonnay and, and Pinot Noir and other varieties that are basically that were once uh, plentiful uh, are getting more scarce. 
for sure. Yeah. And and uh, you have some other really interesting varietals, including some Italian uh, whites. What are what are your favorites outside of the the standards? Well, <laughs> thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I'm a little bit out of the norm um, because I'm actually uh, – I didn't plant Chardonnay, um, but uh, I've had Chardonnay on one of our Rutherford properties way back in the 70s. We actually, uh, there was a planting contract that came out for Johannesburg recently when uh, um, a big winery in Napa Valley wanted to move the needle a little bit and get the the boomers like myself from Coca-Cola to sweet wines. So Johannesburg Riesling was was the pronounced one in the early 70s. And of course, it didn't last very long when the French tasting came along. You know what happened with that. A lot of grafting happened, I'll put that way. But, um, you know, um, it life changes here. So, I mean, the thing is that, you know, we have to go with um, what works. And I'm a little nervous that, you know, we're planting a lot of varietals and maybe not, you know, I should probably rephrase this. We're planting a lot of varieties maybe in the soils that they're not meant for lately. Um, we're planting more of a to price point. It's sort of like what we happened after the French tasting when Cabernet and Chardonnay were the chosen ones in the French tasting that, you know, pretty much a lot of vineyards came out and a lot of Cabernet got planted and Chardonnay got planted in some cases it was planted in the wrong direction in the wrong soils but it got all chewed up with the 1990 phylloxera and things sort of got chewed up to where things should have been planted back at that time um, um, but either way or there um, it's it's interesting of what's happens in Napa and you just, you know, you just drive up and down the valley and you just, and you just look and you learn. Um, and I'm always learning and the varieties that I've planted to get back to your question, I planted abstract Southern European warm region, white varieties like Fiano, Vermentino. I planted, um, Aberino. I planted, uh, Acerico. Those are some of the white varieties that I planted in, in my Rutherford estate. That's um, to get back to your question. This totally abstract. Well, nobody's going to be doing that in Napa Valley. I have 12 different white varieties that, on this parcel, and I'm totally stoked about them. I, honestly, and, and the way I planted them is, is totally unorthodox, probably, but um, it's been working for us very well. Yeah. I did this... Uh, Back 25 years ago, when I knew I was going to start making wine commercially, you know, I was hoping to do that with my father, but he passed away in 94. So by 98, uh, I knew I was going to um, start making commercial wine. So 97, I started planting white varieties back in Rutherford like we did, like we had when, when I was a kid. We had a bunch of white varieties in uh, Rutherford and, and St. Helene and, and different places in Napa Valley. Yeah, well, I I thought the whites were were great that I tasted when I was there a couple of weeks ago. It's also good to hear you're a lifelong learner because that's kind of my thing uh, as well. Always trying to learn, trying to help our listeners learn about stuff. And and um, what what do you think you're doing differently uh, in terms of your winemaking process? Let's say maybe for the the Cabernet Sauvignon than most of your peers. Well, we're okay. So I think what's different about us maybe uh than some uh we're our own farmers uh we manage our own vineyards uh we own our 100 of our wines are estate grown 
Um, they're certified organic, they're certified biodynamic. Um, the How Mountain piece is regenerative organic, as we mentioned earlier, and that was in 22. And then 23, we're going to have that as our Rutherford. So our wine uh, winery is also certified organic as well. And I learned to make wines um, the way we were um, back when I was 14. You know, we were farming organic, but they weren't certified organic at the time until we got to 84. But um, our winery is certified organic, and that's how um, we're finally getting our labels on there. Uh, but uh, we've been like that for many, many years, making wine in that direction, but not put on the label. And the one reason why we didn't put on the label is um, that we would end up in the back of a wine list on an organic section where I wanted to be out in the mainstream with our neighbors of Napa Valley and or we'd be in a different shelf at a wine shop and it was more important to me to be with my neighbors of napa valley and and i enjoy that part so now we've you know seen the movement of organic wines that are very delicious very sound i think the like you mentioned earlier about you know organic fruit and um have a they do taste a lot better. You know, we've done a lot of double blind tasting on um, grapes, actual, the actual ingredients, grapes, not wine, but a, a double blind tasting of that. And it's amazing when we had a group of winemakers come in, it was, it was eight out of 10 that chose the organic fruit on a uh, test that we did. And we've done it like, oh, God, back when I started making commercial wine back in 98, 99. And I did it again about 10 years ago as well with a big group. So that's really what we're trying to do different uh, and lead that path. I mean, I'm a purist of so my, all my uh, bottlings are 100% by varietal. Um, I use the word purist than natural because natural has been sort of little muddy right now um, in my book. So there you go. With you on that. So so what do you think your biggest challenge is over the next year or so? <laughs> well, the biggest challenge I always have is, uh, you know, my, I always look at it is I always say, okay, Mother Nature is always my challenge, you know, as a farmer, if I wear my farmer hat, you know, and um, I always put Mother Nature with an arrow, Las Vegas, because you just never know what's going to happen. And uh, a lot of times we're blessed with beautiful weather. And um, and there's some crazy times like, you know, like we had in 2011 and 2010. And there's been other years I can go all the way back into the in the 60s and 70s. But um, that would be the, the farming hat. Those challenges, uh, being organic, always looking at the neighbor's vineyards that are not organic and uh, checking out what's going on over there. Because typically, you know, you could be ahead of that game. But, you know, being organic, I'm going to be like certified organic for almost 40 years here. You know, um, you know, we met the vine mealy bug. We met, you know, the um, European moth. We met everything that's coming uh, into Napa Valley with either predator insects or our way of controlling, you know, with certified organic materials. And, um so there's always going to be a challenge there. And that's really, again, the farming hat or, you know, the droughts that we've had in the last three years, which between 20, 21, 22, uh, a fire in 20 when I didn't harvest anything. So there's um, 
there's that challenge as well. Now, winemaking, you know, I, I sort of put my winemaker hat. Well, it's very easy. Once you get in the winery, you know, you got temperature control fermentation. You got, you know, you know, you don't have to worry about it getting, you know, 105 outside. So there's a lot of things that are, you know, that you can have less implications with per se and even right down that we own our own bottling line which is housed in a 55 degree cellar where we're not having a mobile line in the driveway and it's 100 degrees and the hose is out the street so we memorized our um risks there and then of course you know after all that you know it's all about the marketplace and and working hard and working with our distributors and our direct-to-consumers and and they're about that's the that could be a challenge at, yeah. at some point being as small as we are yeah that's fair and and talk a little bit more about the predator insects it's super interesting uh, i mean you know most people have their home gardens or whatever it's just not you know within their reach to run out and you know buy a, a million ladybugs and drop them in their back uh, backyard but what what uh, what have been the most effective uh predator insects for you just uh help our readers understand that a little bit well, it depends what we're after, but, you know, I mean, if, you know, I mean, if we're working to um, help ridden out vine mealybug or, um, you know, blue-green sharpshooters for Pierce disease or leafhoppers, you know, now we have, you know, you know, we just got to be careful what we're, you know, we have to find the predator first and that's our first, um, or mites, I should say, and even too, that that's another issue, especially along um, dusty roads and stuff like that. But, um, you know, predator mites, the whole thing is this really finding something that is going to be the predator to that insect. And it works well. But I mean, even for example, like when we had, um, when the European moth came in, you know, there wasn't a predator because it was introduced to the United States. So there wasn't a predator. Well, a lot of people scrambled to figure out what they're going to do. And we end up basically figured out very simple that we could use cauliflower crystals or we could use a material called surround, which is a little bit of Clayton clay that were, you know, they can't digest it and they, they couldn't, um, and they would, you know, die because of digestion problems. But, um, so there's, you know, there's materials out there that are very suitable but you got to look at what I'm not using. I'm not using any synthetic-made materials whatsoever. I'm not using any man-made um, products. You know, our products that we can use, it has to come from Mother Earth. It has to come from our ocean, our waterways, you know, like oyster shells, for example. That's for calcium or, or seaweed or, you know, from plants we use oils and and products like that or from soils with mining materials like for example for potassium or phosphate or or even our our sulfur that we use um you know and then you've got the animals and the insects the predator insects the animals are more for the composting and in, in, in our case you know to be fully sustainable like family that we are and how i was born and raised you know our animals are also our protein that we use for our our meals um However, you know, but we use the compost as part of our um, our um, return to our vineyards on an annual basis. So you, the products are there. You know, it's really funny how, you know, um, you could go to the store if you need a, you know, 
you need a little bit of zinc or magnesium, you know, uh, psyllium in your as vitamins, but you can just go take, you know, three or four bazillion nuts and you get the same thing. So instead of buying four vitamins, you can have four bazillion nuts. Right. So, yeah. So you wear a lot of hats, obviously, but what's, what's your favorite part of the job broadly uh, determined so, of all your different jobs, <laughs> all your different hats? Uh, I, I love, uh, solutions, but I, I think that the, the, I love the idea. I put my boots on the morning. I'm typically in the vineyards. Majority of the time I have an office I hardly ever see until, uh, I'm called in to come in and sign checks and do a couple things. But otherwise I enjoy being out in the vineyards, walking the vineyards. I enjoy, um, working with my winemaking team um, I love the blending sessions that we work with together and, and making harvest decisions and, and barrel decisions and things like that. I love working the market. I love, I love all of it and I love it until I take my boots off at the end of the day. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I'm going to, so it's a new different section where we're talking about advice for, for people, um, from you. And so, so what's a, a, a piece of great advice you got when you were younger? Think outside the box and think about a solution, you know, because you're always going to have, um, if it's mother nature related issues, you know, too much rain, not enough rain. I mean, it's always, it's always when, it, when it comes to farming, there's always something that, you know, it's really funny because I talk to farmers throughout you know, the nation and then they could be farming all kinds of things, not, you know, corn, corn or whatever. And it's always about, you know, the weather, right? And it's always about like too hot, too cold, too wet too dry, to this, to that, whatever. Um, and he's got to figure out some kind of solutions like, you know, and that's how I look at um, my life in Napa Valley. You know, I used to be out there with my crews and harvesting grapes. And I developed the first night harvesting and people looked at me like I was totally crazy. And um, so we start night harvesting and now it's pretty much everybody night harvests, you know, it's been like that for quite a few years now, but I, I, I found a solution where, you know, it was just too hot to pick, but the solution became more answers that wine quality was better by harvesting at nighttime. The vines were less stressed, you know, be picking them at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock when it's 80 degrees per se. Um, you know, so wine quality is raised from that. Um, we can get the grapes, quicker to, to the winery because there's less traffic at five o'clock in the morning or at four o'clock in the morning, things like that. So the layers start building, even though the, the first solution is how can we pick, you know, more without having all this heat and the guys are getting too exhausted and, you know, and the fruit being so hot where we now talk about natural cold soap from picking at night, you know? So a lot of things came out of that over the years. And I just think it's just great that to live through what was one idea was me. I didn't want to pick it during the day anymore. I want to pick what was cool. And then everybody thought I was crazy. So, um, you know, I've taken a lot of little things like that. And, um, and I think, you know, if, the younger generation can think outside the box as we go forward. And I love, you know, the idea that I put a little bug in, um, in even my kids' heads about things um, and see where they go with it. And, and even other generational uh, families, you know, that we get to work with, we, uh, it's, 
working together for the same common goal here in Napa Valley. Well, you know you're thinking outside the box when people think you're crazy at first and then it becomes the de facto standard a couple of decades later. So anyway, so well, I don't know what they're thinking about the Circo and the Fiano. Yeah, <laughs> Marino and all we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So for, for young people that want to make wine uh, and they're still in school today, uh, you know, they're, maybe they're not even in college yet. What's your, what's your advice to them? What should they do to have a great wine career? I think, you know, we're really blessed to be, I mean, I'm blessed that my dad landed and, um, you know, found some really nice, you know, a really great friend in the, in the, in the Korean war to come here to Napa Valley, you know, I could have been, could have been Temeca, but, and I'm not picking on Temeca, but I'm, what I'm saying is that Napa Valley has grown in wine quality like crazy. And I think what's really great that it is the most outspoken wine region in the nation right and um i'm just proud to be here and what what's the inspiration here is that you know if you're in school and you go to davis or whatever school for enology and you want to make wine in napa valley or what make wine period you would probably want to come to napa valley because that's like you know if you were in you know if you're inspired about being in hospitality or getting into like a career in restaurants you want to work at the french laundry so it's one of those things where you know, I think we get very good talent here. We also get um, a lot of inspiration and people working together and try to take this little valley that's not that big. If you look at the global wine market that's out there, and um, and I just you know hats off. I I'm I'm looking. You know, I've looked at all these uh, graduates come here and they're doing you know over twenty thirty. 40 years of coming to Napa Valley and they made it their home and, um, and their career. And they've actually, you know, wine quality is increased by just simple working outside the box. And even like the idea that how we got the white Zinfandel. I mean, that was outside the box. There yeah. you go. Exactly. Well, at this point, less than 7% of vineyards in Napa or, or, are organic, which is surprising to some people. What advice would you give to a farmer in Napa who wants to go organic at this point? We've, I'm sure that, I'm pretty sure that most of my uh, um, advice would be is that you have to be careful the first year and doing, uh, converting the, probably the most conventional, sustainable, vineyards to organic in Napa Valley, I could actually say I've done that, um, would be that, you know, what I learned quickly, you know, 34 years ago is that, you know, when you go from systemic made fertilizers to organic material fertilizers, or you take a vine off of weed killer and you've been using a lot of fertilizer to uh, offset the weed killers that went down in the vines or basically has a stress index of those weed killers that you got to be really careful about that first year. And, you know, you got to, you know, organic is more about knowing your soils and knowing the future and looking at your crop load and, and knowing what kind of uh, year it was when it comes to mother nature. But the, the one aspect is the soil really never changes unless you change it. But you also got to know when, like if you're in an area where depletions might be 
something that might take years to replace with an organic material versus an IV needle right to the vein of a, of a root of a vine was systemic made material. So like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, like, um, oyster shells, you know, that's a, you know, long-term thinking, you know, it's a five, 10 year situation to get it into the system. Um, so if you know your soils, you know, your property, you know, you know, you know, if you walk your rows, you just know. So those are all the things that I talk to all my uh, farmers that want to convert. Um, and we've been very successful to know that we can actually plan that during that three-year uh, term that it takes to go from a conventional vineyard or sustainable vineyard to a certified organic vineyard. Um, that's, uh, that's the term that it takes to be uh, actually get certified without any hiccups. Yep. Um, we've been very successful and the vineyards live longer. Uh, they're definitely more productive um, and they're just healthier. I mean, I just removed a vineyard off my own property that was over 40 years and I'm hearing the Napa Valley average is more like half that um, on the conventional and sustainable. Wow. That's well, a you, huge you, difference. You guys look at it, you know, really because, you know, I mean, it's a lot of the wheat killers, you know, there's more than just what, well, you know, the, the common one everybody knows about Roundup, but there's, you know, that's more for the grasses and stuff like that. But then you got a broadleaf weed killer, then you got the weed killer that kill, kills uh, um, uh, weed seeds, you know, in Germany, weed seeds. So that one leaches down quite a bit. So when you plant a new vine, especially with weed killers that have been used that, you know, you are, you know, the vine is already going to struggle because it's in soils that have been probably been sprayed for numerous of years and just going through a replanting program. Um, so you got to buy more fertilizer to offset that a little bit. So it's, um, it, once you get into farming organic, it's very easy and it's very, um, the ecosystem, the biodiversity you have in a vineyard that has none of those materials is amazing. The organic matter is amazing. And, you know, I'm just blessed like our Rutherford vineyards, you know, as well as my How Mountain vineyards have been. Um, so they just flourish in, uh, in nice green, natural, you know, built big, you know, nice canopies, you know, nice crops every year and, um, and just a healthy environment. You know, we're out there, you know, you see, you know, the insects that we love, you know, and they're flourishing and um, and you go out there and, and feel comfortable that you can walk through the vineyard and not worry about synthetic made fertilizers and insecticides that have been applied. And and that was one of the biggest thing component is that our workforce would be working in those materials. And that's just a tough thing to think about. Yeah. So. I think the conversion is, I think the conversion of, of Napa Valley, <clears throat> and since I've been doing it for 40 years as certified, um, I see more and more certified organic signs coming up and I'm, I'm actually smiling every time I see one and I'm not farming that. Um, it's nice to know that, you know, maybe the uh, farmer, other farmers are looking outside the box, maybe look at my vineyards after 40 years and say, wow, that's working out really well for Mark. Maybe we should all do that. Yeah, that's awesome. So the last section is called underrated or overrated. So I'll give you a person or a thing and you tell me if you think it's underrated or overrated in a, a brief answer. So 
the first one is Charles Krug, founder of Krug. O- underrated or overrated? I think Charles Krug. I think that's underrated. Yeah, first uh, first vineyard in Napa. How about just yeah, I think how about just living in Napa Valley? Underrated or overrated? You talking about today or back back in the heyday? D- today. Um. Boy, put me on the spot with that one. It could be uh, depending. <laughs> oh boy, uh, I would probably have to say that one is. Um, I would for myself, it's underrated. All right, the San Francisco 49ers, underrated or overrated? Wow, you're gonna really make me sweat on a couple of these. Um, I think they're overrated. Yeah. Uh, Maynard Emerine. Uh, a retired UC Davis professor, maybe the first, you know, big enologist in the U.S. Totally underrated. Yeah, totally agree on that. Uh, a vegetarian diet. <laughs> uh, overrated. Rosé wine. Overrated. Being your own boss. Totally underrated. Absolutely. The French Laundry, underrated or overrated? Wow. I don't know if I would get a res- reservation if I say what I want to say. Um, I think it's overrated for me. $100 bottle of tequila, underrated or overrated? Overrated. The WSET wine diplomas versus the other ones. Underrated? Yeah. Howell Mountain for grapes. Underrated or overrated? Underrated. Yeah. Chateau Yachem. And if you want a vintage, I'll give you 2009. Underrated or overrated? Oh, that was a nice wine. Um, I've had that wine. It's underrated. Yeah, me too. The movie Sideways. Underrated or overrated? Completely overrated. <laughs> yeah, I, I was pretty sure you were going to say that. I feel bad for Mer- Merlot grapes after that movie, but uh, you know. Well, see, that's really funny you bring that back up because there's a lot of wineries looking for Merlot in Napa Valley for like the last four or five years, and you know, of course, everybody pulled Merlot out when they couldn't sell it after the movie per se, and um, but the price point really don't, you know can't get you there right now to for farming costs and and development costs that's one of the biggest things that you know here here we go again this is one of the problems that we have here you know due to the fact that land value is so high and farming costs are high and etc etc that you know the grape prices just can't meet that criteria at this point so the markets are dictating the grapes that are grown anyway uh, Mark, thank you for being on the show. Again, this has been Mark Neal, Vintner founder and owner of Neal Family Vineyards. Mark, this has been an awesome interview. Thanks for coming. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate all the time. And uh, you're more than welcome to come back up to Napa Valley and visit us. Love to do it. Love to do it. Thanks, Mark. All right. All right. Take care. You were listening to the State Podcast. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. For example, Apple Podcasts. Please like, subscribe, and comment. And you can also find us on stayblog.substack.com. Thanks.
i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that